Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Have you ever wondered how to incorporate more animal-friendly practices into your daily lives? There's so many ways and things we can do to help animals, and so many easy things we can do that can make a difference for dogs and cats and wildlife and even farm animals. And what better time to start than now, at the beginning of a new year? So in recognition of the new year, Animals Today compiled a list of things you might consider doing to improve the lives of our animal friends. And I'm going to try to address each item on the list on upcoming shows. And for today, let's start with something that I find to be really easy, actually a lot easier than I thought, and that is to purchase only cruelty-free cosmetics and household products. There are a lot of products out there, and these include your cosmetics, personal care items, household products, and pet care products, which are tested on animals. Countless animals are subjected to cruel tests each year so people can have a new and improved lipstick or shampoo or whatever. And the tests on animals can be skin and eye irritation and burn tests where chemicals are rubbed onto the animals or dripped into the eyes of animals. We also like to force feed animals for long periods of time to see if they develop cancer or force feed animals to swallow large amounts of chemicals to see at what dose it will kill them and other hard to imagine testing and experimenting we do on animals. It's insane. And it's just so sad that our country continues to conduct these cruel and painful experiments on dogs, cats, rabbits, mice, and other animals when humane, modern alternatives are available that are less costly, faster, and more predictive for humans. We know testing on animals is unreliable and ineffective and it doesn't guarantee consumer safety. And what a test means on an animal we torture does not mean the human is gonna react the same way, right? It's not predictive of what it's gonna mean on a human. I mean, it's just unnecessary cruelty. So why do we continue to test on animals? According to Cruelty Free International, Despite progress in humane product testing and bans on animal testing for cosmetics in other countries, the United States has no national law prohibiting the use of animals in cosmetics testing. I recently received a press release from the humane side of the United States, which reads in part, hundreds of beauty companies around the globe, including the market-leading partners Unilever, L'Oreal, Procter & Gamble, Avon, Lush, and a growing number of cosmetic ingredient suppliers now support an end to cosmetics animal testing. These companies support an end to animal testing because they know it's not necessary. To date, 40 countries have passed laws to ban or limit such tests. So I find it incredible that the United States and Canada, by the way, have not yet modernized cosmetics regulations to end cruel experiments on animals. And one might think, well, wait a minute. Isn't animal testing legally required for cosmetics to be sold in the United States? The answer is no. The FDA does not require that animal tests be conducted to demonstrate that the cosmetics are safe. 
And just so we're all on the same page here, by cosmetics, we're talking about your skincare products like skin lotions and creams, your hair care products, your shampoo and whatever else you put in your hair, all your beauty facial makeup and lipsticks, and fragrances, perfumes. And by the way, you can have a product that was not tested on animals, right? But the ingredients that were used to formulate the finished product were tested on animals. So a cruelty-free company, a brand that is cruelty-free, tests neither its finished products nor the ingredients used in its finished products on animals. I'm going to read to you what is on the FDA website, right? This is right from the FDA website. This is the cruelty-free slash not tested on animals page. Consumers sometimes ask about use of claims such as, quote, cruelty-free, or, quote, not tested on animals, on cosmetic labeling. Oh, okay, it says it's not tested on animals, so I'm going to buy it because it makes me feel like I'm doing something good for the animals. Good marketing strategy, right? You can't believe labels. Don't believe labels. Some cosmetic companies, again, this is right off the FDA website, promote their products with claims of this kind, that they're cruelty-free or not tested on animals, in their labeling or advertising. The unrestricted use of these phrases by cosmetic companies is possible because there are no legal definitions for these terms. Also, listen to this. Some companies may apply such claims solely to their finished cosmetic products. However, these companies may rely on raw material suppliers or contract laboratories to perform any animal testing necessary to substantiate product or ingredient safety. Other cosmetic companies may rely on combinations of scientific literature, non-animal testing, raw material safety testing, or controlled human use testing to substantiate their product safety. Many raw materials, I'm still reading from the website, many raw materials used in cosmetics were tested on animals years ago when they were first introduced. A cosmetic manufacturer might only use those raw materials and base their, quote, cruelty-free claims on the fact that the materials or products are not currently tested on animals, okay? Where do you think the worst most unimaginable kinds of testing on animals is done. Where do you think animals are the most abused in the world? Just another way to phrase that question. And I'm talking in every aspect, not just animal experimentation, animals in entertainment, captive animals in zoos, bears being captured and caged for their bile, and millions of dogs and cats are slaughtered in horrific ways for their meat, and dogs, cats, and foxes skinned and slaughtered for their fur. Where? China. China is so f backwards with respect to animal welfare. Currently, there are no nationwide laws that explicitly prohibit the mistreatment of animals. So you can essentially do whatever the hell you want to an animal in China. According to Animals Asia, listen to this. It's estimated that in China alone, 10 million dogs and 4 million cats are slaughtered for the dog meat trade each year. That's the Asian dog meat trade and dog meat festivals in China. 
And not only are there no laws in China that prohibit the abuse and horror these animals face, but in addition, animal testing is mandatory. China remains one of the few countries in the world to require, require animal tests for beauty products. According to the Humane Society of the United States, the Chinese government conducts mandatory animal tests on all cosmetic products imported into the country. The government may also conduct animal tests on items pulled from store shelves. Therefore, even if a cosmetics company does not test their products or ingredients on animals, if they sell their products in China, they cannot be considered cruelty-free. How do you like that? So what can you do? Don't support this cruelty. Purchase cruelty-free products. How do you know which products are not tested on animals? How do you know if a product is certified to be cruelty-free? Well, there's something called the Leaping Bunny Guide. This is a list of cruelty-free brands compiled by the Coalition for Consumer Information on Cosmetics. So you can go right onto the website. It's the Leaping Bunny Guide to check to see if the cosmetics you buy and all your personal care and household and pet care companies that you purchase are listed in the guide. And if a product you buy is not there, then consider purchasing a similar product from another company on the list. But I'll tell you that many of the companies on this list will make it easy for consumers by putting the Leaping Bunny logo right on their product. So you know right there in the store that a specific product is cruelty-free. You've seen the Leaping Bunny logo, right? Also on Humane Society of the United States website, it has an informative infographic which you can download with details on how to interpret labels and ensure the products you are buying are cruelty-free. And I'll just tell you that on this informative page, it states, there are no regulations preventing companies from making claims such as, quote, no animal testing or, quote, cruelty-free on their products. Language such as not tested on animals or cruelty-free may only refer to the finished product, not the ingredients. Check the Leaping Bunny list. If the company is not listed, ask the company whether it meets the Leaping Bunny criteria. So cruelty-free means does not test products or ingredients on the animals. Also, the company doesn't commission animal testing or sell their products in China where animal testing is required. So without sacrificing or compromising too much, you can become a more compassionate consumer and help spread the word. You'll really be doing something good for the animals. What a great New Year's resolution. Okay, more with the show right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animals Today. Most people know that chocolate is dangerous for dogs and cats to eat. But did you know that coffee and tea are dangerous for pets too? There are many foods you should not let your pets eat. Onion, garlic, yeast dough, and even avocado. Grapes and raisins are especially toxic to dogs too. Even certain plants and flowers can be toxic or deadly to pets. Cats should not be allowed to eat lilies, daffodils, tulips, or sago palm. And make sure your dogs don't eat azalea, lilies, or sago either. Another danger area, especially with dogs, is eating medicine meant for people. 
So make sure pills are out of your pet's reach and in safe containers. And of course, leftover bones can crack and cause choking. So don't give bones to dogs. Remember these pet safety tips to keep your pets healthy and happy all year round. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. For the past three decades, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. ISAR is committed to advancing the rights of animals through a variety of law-based programs, including legislation, litigation, and public education, including model laws. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.com. Welcome back. So the disease rabies is pretty uncommon in the United States. Last year, five people died from rabies, and that was actually more than it has been in uh, previous years. Four of them, it was determined, were due to bats, and one from a dog, actually. You know, those are pretty uncommon. The case of the patient bitten by a dog, that actually occurred in the Philippines before he returned to the United States uh, where he passed away. Folks who were in direct contact with rabid bats, it brings up an interesting question, and that is frequently people who are bitten by bats don't realize that they have been bitten because they can be asleep or the bites can be extremely small and not noticed. So the rule of thumb, as illustrated by this case I'm about to tell you, is that if you live among bats, like they discover a roost in your home, or if you wake up and there's a bat in your room, you need to assume that you have been exposed and bitten and that the saliva is infected and that you are in trouble. That's so interesting that you're saying that because I just read something the other day when I knew you were bringing this case up about the rabies. The CDC does recommend that if you find that you were sleeping with a bat somehow, then they automatically suggest you get the rabies vaccination, assuming you were just bitten by a bat and you don't know it. Right. You have to assume and they want to, in that case, give you what they call PEP, the post-exposure prophylaxis. Is that right? Yes. So that is the immunoglobulin plus the series of four vaccines, I think, that you get, right? If, however, you're able to capture the lone bat and then they test it and show that it does not have rabies, then you can avoid that. But you may not want to avoid that. Because you may not want to capture the bat, right? Well, but the other reason is that you just might not want the treatment. And that happened to this elderly guy who's actually in his 80s, who's from Illinois. He awoke to find a bat on his neck and he was offered the series and he declined it and he died that horrible death that people with rabies die you know it's a terrible progressive thing and once your symptoms start it's unrelenting and you're dead within uh, two weeks and the you know PEP is not as terrible as it used to be in the bad old days so it's rare it still happens though and and uh, not so much in in dogs we've pretty much eradicated right the rabid dog problem in our country which is wonderful so Lori you like bats you find them cute and mysterious and warm and fuzzy I love all animals yes, yes okay but that's a really incredible story 
I mean, you wake up with a bat on your neck. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you just assume he bit you and you don't know it. Yeah. But. Was it really a bat? Was it really a bat? Maybe it was a bird. I remember as a kid, my parents would take me and my siblings on camping trips. And I remember on one of these trips, we were joined by other campers. And one evening we saw many bats flying about. And this one woman, fellow camper, became hysterical. And especially she had this fear related to the bath, not about contracting rabies, but worried the bats would fly and get tangled in her hair. Mm. So she ran into her tent and wrapped a scarf around her head. And that's what she would do every night on this trip. And you can't ask me, Peter, where, where I was or anything else about this camping trip, because I don't remember. The only thing I remember is that this woman who tried to convince all of us and freaking everyone out, especially the women with long hair, that they should be worried that a bat would get tangled in our hair. Yeah. Peter, remember all the bats that would appear at dusk when we were living in Palm Springs? Yeah. yeah. There would be not just an occasional bat but dozens flying above us they didn't, they didn't seem interested in me but no, i they was didn't. interested in going into the house whenever that happened yeah i so know I you were wasn't really comfortable out so there are a lot of misconceptions about rabies though veterinarian robert reed was on the show a while back talking about this topic of rabies so briefly the rabies virus can infect any mammal the vast majority of rabies cases reported to the CDC each year occur in wild animals like bats, raccoons, skunks, foxes, although any mammal can get rabies, even people. And one big myth is that the rabies in dogs and cats is common. And as you pointed out, it's not. Robert was explaining that we do not see rabies often in dogs and cats in the United States, and we don't see a lot of it because of public health efforts that began in the 1940s. And that was largely through vaccination programs. So it's extremely rare to encounter rabies in a dog or a cat or any domestic animal. And rabies is even more rare in people. But the interesting thing is the rabies virus has not gone away after thousands of years. So it's still a risk. So efforts to control it still continues. So... Rabies is a viral disease, and it's most often transmitted through a bite of a rabid animal. So the virus is passed through the saliva from a bite from a rabid animal. And the rabies virus infects the central nervous system, as you mentioned, ultimately causing disease in the brain and progressive neurological problems and invariably death. Peter, I read that rabies has the highest mortality rate, 99.9%. Yeah. Yeah. of any disease on earth. So the key is to get treated right away if you think there's any chance of you being bitten by an animal that has rabies. How do you know if an animal has rabies? Okay, uh, it is acting aggressively. Yeah. Well, no. you, the answer is, okay. the correct answer is, you don't know. Okay. What you were about to say could be another misconception. People think that all rabid animals are foaming at the mouth and active aggressively, but you really don't know if an animal's rabid just by looking at it. I read that many wild animals who have rabies actually act shy or timid, and that's not the way wild animals normally act, so that's when you want to steer away from them. So what do you do if you get bitten by an animal? Because there's really no way to know if the animal that bit you is rabid. And by the way, you can't just wait it out and take your time and see if you develop symptoms. Right. Because if you're 
bitten by a rabid animal, there are no symptoms at first. Rabies can lay dormant in your body for like one to three months. This is what they call the incubation period. Symptoms start to appear once the virus travels through your central nervous system and hits your brain. So you might get a fever, but then you start to get these central nervous system symptoms like anxiety, hyperactivity, being easily agitated, inability to sleep, sounds like us <laughs> and everyone you know, right? But you might also be confused. You can start to hallucinate. You might salivate more than usual. You might develop a paralysis and you might have difficulty swallowing and then eventually coma, heart or lung failure and death. So let's go back to what do you do if you're bitten by a wild animal or say you're bitten by a domestic animal, a dog, who you know is not vaccinated against the rabies virus or a dog who you don't know his or her vaccination status. Then your doctor or say a typical emergency room would likely treat you to potentially prevent a rabies infection. And that treatment is the rabies vaccine, which you talked about. The important thing to know here is the vaccine is always successful if it's given immediately after exposure to the rabies virus. And like you said, it's called post-exposure rabies vaccination. You'll get one dose of this fast-acting rabies immune globulin, and then you get a series of vaccine shots over the next several days. And that is a precaution that I think any ER in the country would take if someone comes in with a bite from an animal that could be carrying rabies. And the reason there's so much caution is that there's not much you can do if you contract the rabies virus and you get rabies. It's almost universally fatal. So the treatment is prevention, essentially. I feel very agitated. Hard time sleeping. Yes. Irritability. Yes. Hyperactivity. Too many cats in the bed. <laughs> You're foaming at the mouth, Peter. <laughs> back to animals today. This is from Live Science. Some neurobiologist and her dog Kun Kun recently moved from Mexico to Budapest, Hungary, and decided she wanted to know whether dogs are capable of distinguishing between language spoken by humans. The researcher states, we noticed, this is when she moved from Mexico to Hungary, we noticed that the people in Budapest were very friendly with dogs and often approached Kun Kun and talked to him. Kun Kun usually pays a lot of attention to people, so I wondered whether he noticed that people in Budapest speak a different language. Before I had only talked to my pet dog in Spanish, so I was wondering whether Kun Kun noticed that people in Budapest spoke a different language, Hungarian. Yeah. The study seems so silly to me, Peter. Is it not obvious that dogs would be able to distinguish a different language? You say to our dogs, let's go for a walk, or the word dinner, or treat, or cookie, or let's play with your toy or ball. They know those words. They know what you're talking about. But if you say the same thing in Spanish, what's, what's dinner for Spanish? Comida. <laughs> so you say comida to our dogs. They wouldn't know what you're talking about. So, of course, they can distinguish language, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't see any groundbreaking things here. But anyway, let's see how this researcher tortured the dog so she can get what she wanted published. 
So she used 18 dogs, and all the dogs had been exposed to either the Spanish language or Hungarian, depending on their owners and families. So the dogs were only familiar with one or the other language. The 18 dogs were trained to lie still in an MRI machine so their brains can be scanned. And while they're being scanned, three different recordings were played. A Spanish reading from the children's book, The Little Prince, a Hungarian reading from the same book, and then some human noises mm. that didn't resemble any normal speech. Here are the results, which again, to me, I don't see anything worthy of research here, but you'll let me know. First, the dogs were able to distinguish between speech and non-speech. If we talk gibberish to our dogs, they probably look at us and think, what the hell are we trying to say to them? They know the difference between speech and non-speech, right? The researchers say, Dog brains, like human brains, can distinguish between speech and non-speech. Also, the results show that dogs react differently to familiar and unfamiliar languages. The researcher says, this is the first study showing that a non-human brain can differentiate between two languages, Hungarian and Spanish. Also, older dogs appear to be more adept at distinguishing between a familiar and an unfamiliar language. He says, I think that the main reason the older dogs are better at dif differentiating language is the amount of exposure to the language. Older dogs have had more opportunities to listen to humans while they talk. I don't know, this just seems so obvious to me. He goes on, each language is characterized by a variety of auditory regularities. Our findings suggest that during their lives with humans, dogs pick up on the auditory regularities of language they are exposed to. Live Science says the researcher was, quote, a little surprised by the study's findings, but he also thinks that many people underestimate how sharp our canine friends can be. I don't know about that. He says, my experience with dogs has shown me that they are constantly paying attention to their social world and everything that happens around them. I think dogs know more about us than we imagine. So that's it. Well, here's one more quote from the researcher. This study showed for the first time ever that a non-human brain can distinguish between two languages. Still, we do not know whether this capacity is dog's specialty or general among non-human species. Indeed, it is possible that the brain changes from the tens of thousands of years that dogs have been living with humans have made them better language listeners. But this is not necessarily the case, he said. And here's another article, Peter, talking about the study. And this, listen how it begins. In a startling discovery, scientists found that dogs respond differently to familiar and unfamiliar human languages, revealing that the capacity to learn about the regularities of a language is not uniquely human. Startling discovery. You're delivering this beautifully. <laughs> Peter, what am I missing here? No, no, you're not missing anything there. This was just a waste of our four minutes of Animals Today Radio? No, no, it was good. Okay. Right, good. <laughs> it was fascinating to hear about what people are spending their lives and their time with, but I tend to agree with you. It's like, why? I wonder if this is one of these instances where, you know, you have a new instrument, in this case, functional MRI, and then you just sort of throw things at it or sort of devise experiments or things to do, you know, in order to publish it and then sort of try to backfill. This is why we did this and this is why it's important. But it's not it's not the question that's, you know, leading the science. Oh, that's a know? good point. So we've got this new toy. What can we do with it? Right. I wonder if it fits into that sort of thing. That's you know? that's a great analysis of well, it. I okay. think that's what it is. But it's everyone wants, to, you know, it's 
the conclusions are really good. It could be this, but it definitely could be that. And it's like it's. Like, and also the not only non-human animals yeah, that yeah. can. No, that's yeah. not. A, there's other animals that can distinguish between languages, right? <laughs> we need bigger and smaller and faster MRIs <laughs> okay. right away. Okay, let me move on to a more interesting study. So we all know that having a pet is associated with various health benefits like lowering blood pressure, lowering our cholesterol, lowering our stress level and loneliness, et cetera, et cetera. We talk about this all the time. Last week on the show, the question was raised, is sleeping with your pet, sharing your bed with your pet, is that disruptive to your sleep? Well, a lot of surveys have been done on this topic, and the answer is... What's your favorite answer, Peter? (laughs) It depends. It depends, exactly. It depends. Back in 2015 at the Center for Sleep Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona, among pet owners surveyed at the sleep clinic, more than half said pets sleep in their bedroom. And one in five described their animals as disruptive. But two in five perceive the pets as unobtrusive or even beneficial to sleep. Among the people who say the animals were disruptive to their sleep, problematic animal-related disturbances they reported included wandering, snoring, voiding needs, whimpering, and seizures. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Among the people who described the animals as beneficial in the bedroom, they say their animals provided comfort and companionship or served as bed warmers. People sleeping alone, whether they were single or had a partner who wasn't always there at night, more often spoke of pets as beneficial evening companions. Breed size, bedroom size, and bed size could all contribute to how people and pets interact at night and how well people sleep, said Navy Captain Dr. Mart Stevens of the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences in Bethesda, Maryland. That makes sense to me, Peter. It might be very hard to get a good night's sleep if you have three large dogs on a single bed with you, right? Alan McConnell, a psychology researcher at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, said, people's perception that pets cause disruptive sleep is not great evidence that they do cause sleep disruption. Self-reported beliefs about pets being the cause of people's sleep difficulties is pretty limited without a more comprehensive experimental study design. I agree with that last statement that people can report whatever they want, but until you really study it, so. Absolutely. But this is interesting. Listen to this. This is from sleepadvisor.org. The title of this piece is called The Pros and Cons of Sleeping with Pets in Your Bed. And this is under the section called Pets and Sleep. What does the science say? Louise Cron, MD of the Mayo Clinic says, we found that many people actually find comfort and a sense of security from sleeping with their pets. The University of Alberta found that for patients with chronic pain, sleeping with their dog helps regulate their sleep patterns by lowering their stress, exposing them to the sun early in the morning when they take them out and providing comfort when they are in pain. According to a Mayo Clinic study, adults who slept with a pet animal in the room achieved an above satisfactory sleep efficiency percentage, meaning they spent even more time asleep throughout the night than necessary to receive the important benefits. For those who slept with their cat or dog in their bed with them, the number was a little lower but still satisfactory. When it comes to your relationship with your pet, allowing them to sleep with you may strengthen your bond. A study in Hungary shows that dogs feel an attachment to their owners similar to the way a child feels toward their parents. In some dogs, separation, even for the night, may cause anxiety. When you allow them into your bedroom, in your bed, they may rest better knowing you're nearby. 
One study at the Mayo Clinic found that the results of sleeping with the pet may vary depending on the owner and how well-behaved an animal is. A calm, purring cat or a well-behaved dog may provide a comforting presence while others may keep you up. I mean, that's probably the bottom line, right, Peter? It just depends on you, your pet, how many animals there are in your bed with you, etc. Okay, this is a good tip. Again, this is from Sleep Advisor. For small dogs and kittens who are still growing, a fall off of a high bed or being rolled over in their sleep could be enough to break a bone or possibly suffocate them. Additionally, just like animals can get you sick, you can pass along viruses to them too. While it may be difficult to say no to your cuddly puppy, it could be the best thing for them in the end, especially if you have the sniffles or if you think you're going to roll on them and crush them or if they might fall off the bed and hurt themselves. Another perspective, according to the American Kennel Club, separation anxiety is one of the leading reasons owners get rid of their animals. If you sleep with them from a young age, you could help them develop this troublesome issue. To make the most of your relationship, crate training your young animal could be the best thing for them, even if it means you can't snuggle at night. Now, ready for this? This is the best one, Peter. Okay. A study found that women report better sleep when they share their bed with a dog. Animal behaviorist Dr. Christy Hoffman and her team of researchers sought to explore the impacts that pets have on human sleep quality. So they surveyed 962 adult women and found that 55% of participants shared their beds with at least one dog and 31% shared their bed with at least one cat. In addition, 57% of respondents shared their beds with a human partner. Dr. Hoffman states, we found that women commonly rate dogs as better bed partners than cats and human partners and report that their dogs enhance their sleep quality. I think that could be very true. They found that women who share their beds with a dog reported better, more restful sleep. They also said that their dogs were less disruptive than their human partners and were associated with a stronger feeling of comfort and security. One of the reasons to explain these results was that dogs are thought to be more accommodating to their human's sleep patterns. That makes sense, I guess. If you go to bed and wake up at a different time than your spouse, that can be quite disruptive, whereas your dog accommodates to your sleep schedule. Participants report that bed-sleeping cats are just as disruptive as human partners and were associated with weaker feelings of comfort and security than both dog and human partners. She says she hopes to research whether men's sleep is affected by pets in the same way as women's. How do you like them apples? <laughs> it's, it's a mess, this field, isn't it? <laughs> yes, like that's, all over the place. that's my make, point. You can make anything you want of this. I know. So, uh, okay, it depends, I guess. Still holds. <laughs> that's I'll right. stick with that, okay? Okay. Okay. But and, the Mayo, want... and also the Mayo Clinic seems very interested in... They do studies almost every year on this, I yeah. know. Okay, well... Do you still want to sleep with the dogs and cats in our bed? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay. Okay, don't go away. More with the animals today, right after the break. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today. Do you ever wonder what you can do to be nicer to animals and to help them? Here are a few things you can do to show your appreciation to our furry friends. You can donate to or volunteer at your local animal shelter. 
Walking the dogs and playing with the cats is a meaningful way to make a difference in the lives of homeless animals in our shelters. You can be a foster parent if you have the extra time and space. Becoming a foster parent is a wonderful way to take some of the burden off our overcrowded shelters by giving an animal a loving place to live until a forever home is found. Increase your appreciation for wildlife by providing a welcoming space around your home for butterflies, hummingbirds, and other creatures. Also, by simply driving cautiously through areas populated by wildlife such as deer, you're acting with compassion. These are only a few ideas to encourage you to continue thinking about acting kindly towards animals. This message is sponsored by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit us at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And here are a few more ways to be kind to animals, beginning with this. Report suspected animal abuse or neglect. If you see an underfed dog or an animal left in a car on a hot day, report it right away. You can be saving a life. Try a vegetarian or even better, a vegan diet, even just beginning with one day a week. Decreasing and then eliminating your consumption of animals is probably the best way to show your appreciation for them and for the environment, too. Don't buy cosmetics or household products that have been tested on animals. That's easy these days, and there are apps to guide your purchases. And finally, don't wear clothing made from animals. Say no to fur and leather, and then you can give up wool and silk as well. It's easier than you might imagine. This message is sponsored by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit us at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Okay, Lori, a discovery in Australia. I'm going to show you this uh, photo here that was published. This is a pterosaur. Oh, my okay. goodness. So you've got a large flying dinosaur. Looks right? scary. That lived about 100 million, 105 million years ago. That was just discovered. The remains were discovered by the, you know, the uh, dinosaur hunters. <laughs> and uh, this one, they think had a wing span of nearly seven meters, 30 foot wings, right? They look horrible. And this huge mouth that you saw with this huge uh, draw, and it was designed to sort of scoop animals like fish from the sea. And it looks like a terrifying dragon. It's horrifying. Dragon. I know. How would you like that getting tangled in I your hair? <laughs> yeah, nice. They're still finding new things about dinosaurs, and this looks sort of awful. But interesting, if you like that stuff. Lori, there is an animal called a saola, S-A-O-L-A. Saola, some people say say saola. That's a couple of different pronunciations. Anyway, this is a recently discovered um, animal. Really, only in the early 1990s did they uh, come across this in Vietnam area. It's a new genus in the bovid family. So it's related to cattle, sheep, goats, and antelope. And as you see in this photo, which I am showing you, this beautiful head, there are two horns that are going back from the head. And it uh, it looks sort of like a, I don't know, it's... She's beautiful. She is beautiful. And the thing is, they are very rare. And even though they're only recently discovered, they are being ensnared. And they're as few as there were a couple of decades ago. Now they're hard to find at all. And so there's a new research program designed to find them and uh, humanely capture them and to do a captive breeding and then release. Hmm. So, yeah. Are they can, becoming rare because humans that. are hunting them down? Yeah, or? yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like everything else. The, the usual reasons, but it's yeah. a beautiful animal. Beautiful. We don't know if 
they're at the end of their existence or not. Yeah. And uh, whether a captive breeding thing would even work with, with them. Right. But there's a foundation, and if you, there's interesting uh, video out there, Saola. 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 <laughs> there's a petting zoo in Tacoma. This is like same old story again, another sort of underfunded, small, captive animal facility, right? This is called City Goat Farm and Zoo. They are in Tacoma, and between uh, April 2019 and February 2020, dozens of people were injured while they were at this uh, petting zoo by small wild animals like like foxes and anteaters and stuff like that. So they were sighted, and they're in trouble, and hopefully they'll get closed down. Uh, They had a sloth that died. I mean, I mean, a little place can't take care of a sloth. Right? They don't know what the hell they're so doing. So died of neglect? Oh, you know, there may have been trauma. The necropsy was done. There was, well, there first it was denial, and then right, right. we don't know. Right. And then... And then uh, Maybe he got COVID. <laughs> but we talk about this all the time. Another example of a small facility totally not ready to do this. And, and uh, it's just a horrible story. So they're going to die or get traumatized. We don't understand why these dolphins perished. Yep. I know. Right. Exactly. Oh. Oh. We're studying it. Oh, what happened? (laughs) An investigation. Yes. Okay. Then back to uh, pet parents. Okay. So this comes from MetLife. They sell insurance for pets and they uh, surveyed their policyholders. And only 2% of these folks had taken a first aid course focused on pets. Oh. 10% of them had a pet first aid kit, and about half of the dog owners said they needed more training in uh, emergency care of their animals, and 80% of the cat owners said they needed more training. We need more training. We definitely need more training. Like, do you, would you know how to do CPR on a dog? You know, I learned how to do it by reading, you know, Uh years ago, but I I really don't. I really wouldn't know how. So you've never been... Certified. No, like I've never a, been certified. A little certi- pocket card. Right. No, like no, no, no. So you're right. I, I don't know how. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. not making fun. I've never done it yeah. either. But uh, yeah. it's we, we should We should. Yeah. Let's find a course. Okay. So there you go. How about a canine, like Heimlich maneuver? Isn't that another thing that you can learn how to do besides yeah. CPR? Yeah. Or you hold the dog upside down and shake? I, I don't you know. You don't do that. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know either. But I think there is like a Heimlich. I don't think it's called Heimlich. He was only interested in dying people. Right. Only interested in dying people. people. So there must be another word. But some Heimlich-like maneuver has to exist yeah. for dogs and cats who get something stuck in their... Yeah. In their Heimie. <laughs> in their Heimie. <laughs> Okay, Lori, here you go. When you mentioned MetLife, I thought you were going to talk about the most popular dog names of 2021. I think they did a study with them. Lola, Max, Bailey. <laughs> Not Rover. Not Rover. Not Spot. Okay, thanks for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet. The animals. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. 
Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website again is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening.